You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. Good morning. Glad y'all are here. Excited about today. Um, I don't know. I feel, I feel good today. I feel like, man, it's going to be a good day. You know, one of those times, got a good night's sleep and ready to go. So I hope you are too. Because um, we're kicking off a new series today called Framework. And the, the whole basis of this series is looking at the fact that Jesus, um, we know this, that Jesus is our foundation. He's the only true foundation. He's the only foundation we can build our life on. Um, and the gospel um, of Jesus, it, it, it puts, as we build our lives on Christ, the gospel is really the framework of, of which we build our lives with. Um, so it guides our whole life. It's not just a part of our life. It is our life. It's why the early Christians were called the people of the way, because it was a way of life. Um, it wasn't just something that was a piece of their life. It was the whole thing. Um, Jesus became their life. I mean, we know this to be true um, if we know Christ. And so we're going to be looking at that over the next five weeks. And if you want to read ahead, if you want to um, study a little bit before the messages, um, each of these messages is going to come out of the book of Matthew and specifically out of Matthew chapters nine and 10. And today we're going to pick up in Matthew 9, 9, where Jesus calls um, Matthew to come and follow him. So it's a very climactic moment in Matthew's life. And I believe today will be a climactic moment for us too. I believe that today we, we, we have the opportunity um, as we give ourselves to God to walk out of here different than the way we walked in. Y'all believe that this morning? That God desires to do something in our lives. And I hope you're as excited about that as I am because... I'm pumped about this. It's going to be a good day. All right. So I want to read to you Matthew 9, 9 through 13. These are the scriptures we're going to be looking at today. And then we're going to get into it and uh, see what God has to say to us this morning. So it says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for life. We thank you for your love, God. We praise you, God, that you gave us another day. God, that today the sun came up. We didn't plan it. We didn't have to lay awake last night worrying about it, God. But you just took care of it for us. And God, we trust you with our lives. We give you everything, God, that is rightfully yours. And today we give you our hearts and we give you worship. I pray for the person in here today, God, that feels they are the farthest away from you. I pray that today you would speak to them. They would see that you have come for them. They would see that today is not an accident, but that they were divinely appointed to meet with you today. I pray for the person in here, God, that thinks they need you the least today. I pray that their pride would be broken. I pray that they would be humbled before you and that, God, you would show them things about yourself that they never thought they would see. God, speak to our hearts now. Let this good seed find good soil in our hearts that can produce fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know about some of you. If you've got kids, um, you may be like us. We're trying to squeeze the last little bit of summer um, out before they go to school in a a couple of Fridays from now. And so this week on Wednesday, uh, it was my day off from, because, you know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, take off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I promise I don't just work on Sundays, really. I don't. But... 
we, we decided we'd go down to uh, Savannah. We're going to spend some, we're going to eat dinner down at the city market. And, and on our way down there, we stopped off and we went to the go-kart racing place um, there in Pooler. And I don't know about you, but man, I, this is the first time I've ever done this. It was a blast. We had the greatest time. And, and I wanted to show you a couple of pictures of my little one, um, Reed. And yeah, that's him. He was wearing out the track. I hope you can see that. Too cute, right? And so um, we went, that one on that side is like a little kitty track. It only went about two miles per hour, but to him it was flying or, you know, he's like Daytona 500 kind of stuff. And so the next one over here on my side or on the, my, now my left, your left, now my right, your left. But that one is when we were riding together and this is how we rode most of the afternoon. It was so much fun, but I do think that I do, I think I have a problem because anytime I get into a competitive situation, I lose my mind, absolutely lose my mind. And so Reed and I, a 38 year old and a three year old, we're flying around the racetrack in these little golf carts, a three year old and a 38 year old trying to put 10 year olds into the wall, right? It was crazy. And I'm like, you know, and, and, and Susan and, and Kaylin had gone with us and we're sitting there and, and they're like, his competitiveness is coming out. And I'm like, I can't control it. It's almost like the Hulk when he gets mad. It's just like, I got to win. There's no, you know, if you're not, if you don't win, you're like the you know, first loser. He's no second place. You got to win. Right. And so we're doing this. And the funny thing about it, it hit me actually right when I snapped that picture, um, right there as Reed was sitting there, it hit me because, um, on my side, there was a steering wheel. And on Reed's side, there was a steering wheel. But here's the funny thing. His steering wheel didn't do anything, right? It was just for looks. It was for him to play with. But my steering wheel actually controlled the go-kart. And so we'd be riding around the track and it was so funny. I just, I mean, I'd laugh the whole time we were riding because I'd look over there and Reed's got his hat literally pulled down over his eyes. He's like serious about this. He's leaned back like this, right? And, and, and every time we go around a curve, he's like... Doing this and doing it right as I'm doing the other steering wheel. But the funniest thing about it was his steering wheel wasn't doing anything. It wasn't doing anything at all. But he thought I'm driving the cart. Right. And I'd be like, do it, Reed. Do it, man. That's awesome. Keep driving. Keep driving. And he's like, but it wasn't doing anything. How crazy would it have been for me to go? All right, Reed, let's swap places. It wouldn't have worked out very well, would it? But the thing that hit me as I took that picture was this. Many times we don't realize that in our life we're sitting in Reed's seat, not my seat. So many times we think that we're in control and God's really driving the car. And when we try to get in God's seat, it doesn't go well. We usually hit the wall, don't we? I was thinking about it and I was thinking about how true that is, how true that is of our lives that when we let go of um, the steering wheel, we just trust God with it, how much better things go. But when we try to take the steering wheel that we believe is actually guiding his life or our lives and we believe we can somehow, listen, control of our lives is the greatest illusion that we'd ever have because really control is, is, is in God's hand. And we need to leave it there. And I thought about how problematic it becomes, how big of an issue it becomes when we try to steer our lives. And it's no different today than it was 2,000 years ago. I know a lot of people think that the Bible is just old and it's worn out and it's outdated. That's not true. The Bible speaks to us today because people are people. People haven't changed a whole lot in 2,000 years. And we see this in the life of Matthew, that Matthew, for his whole life, had tried to take control of his life. He had done the things that he thought were going to make him happy. He had gone after the things that shined, those things that glimmered, those things he thought could bring him fulfillment. And he found himself with a big ache in his heart because he had this God-shaped hole that only God could fill, but he kept trying to fill it with other things. And you and I, many of us, we've been in that situation. Some of us are there now, we just don't want to admit it. 
And we don't want to surrender to it. And when we look at this text, we find Matthew has done these very things. In fact, I want you to understand today that Matthew's story is our story. In so many ways, Matthew's story is our story. And as you look at verse 9, it says that as Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Matthew's story is our story because it's a story of selfish decisions that hurt other people. Hello, right? Selfish decisions that hurt other people. It's a story of misplaced ambition. Going after all the things that we thought was going to make us happy that never did. And it was an insatiable appetite that we could not satisfy because we went after all these other things. It's a story of disappointment and hurt when things that we chased after left us empty. Have you ever been there? We thought this will make me happy and it didn't. You chased after it. I remember when I was about 10 years old and, and the first Nintendo came out. I know I'm old, right? But the first Nintendo, I thought if I could get that Nintendo, I'll be so happy. I played it, played it, played it, played it, played it. But you know what? I always had to have a new game. I got tired of that when I had to go to another. That's how we live our lives so many times is that we think that this will make me happy, but there's always got to be another game. There's always got to be something else to entertain us. And so in so many ways, our story is like Matthew's story. See, tax collectors were usually rich, but they were always hated. Nobody liked a tax collector. Like when I say IRS, none of you go, praise Jesus, right? <laughs> no, because... And, and this guy, listen, this guy was probably maybe even worse than the IRS. I mean, he could take literally whatever he wanted to take, he could take it. Whatever he wanted, he could go get it. He could just tax people almost freely, taking whatever he wanted. And as long as he paid basically his apportionment to the Roman government, he got to keep the rest. This man was hated, hated, hated. He was wretched. He was sinful. He was basically put in the same category with murderers, lepers, and prostitutes. And really, he'd probably be on the bottom of all of those. This is how bad he was hated. He was seen as a traitor. He was a rebel. He rebelled against his own people and gone after what he thought would make him happy. What he thought would bring him joy. What he thought could fill the hole in his heart. And yet it never did. So in another way, Matthew's story is our story because it's a story of a broken relationship with God and with people that Matthew truly cared about. It was a story about how his own rebellion against God had brought hurt into his life. It was a story of Matthew looking for an identity in all the wrong places. He thought he would find it as he took money from people, as he built his um, own business, right? As he achieved a high position as a tax collector. As he was able to probably purchase almost anything he wanted in that day. And yet, still hopeless. And it's our story because... The hopelessness that he felt when he was separated from God is the same hopelessness that we feel when we're separated from God. See, Matthew's state, that lonely state, that state of separation, that state of being relationally poor, that's our state. That's who we are. Apart from Jesus spiritually, that is us. We are spiritually bankrupt. We have no true life in us. We can exist, but we cannot live. But many of us, just ignore it, right? And in many ways, our affluence, our, all of the things that God has blessed us with in the United States and where we live, it's become an anesthetic to our heart so that it's numbed our heart to our true need for God so that we only go to God when something bad happens or we get scared or in fear. And listen, God doesn't mind that, but we're missing the whole point. We're missing the relationship that God's called us to have with him. 
and having chased everything that shimmered, everything that shines, we ran away from God. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We ran after things that we thought would bring glory to us. We thought would make us happy. And our state is Matthew's state. And in this way, we realize that Matthew's story is our story. That this is the first way we see ourselves with Matthew. As sinners, he's fallen from the grace of God. Listen to 9b. I want to read the rest of this text again to you. They're halfway through 9. As Matthew's sitting at the tax collector's booth, the Bible says that Jesus comes by and he says, follow me. He told Matthew and Matthew got up and followed him. Now listen, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees and his when came and ate with him and his disciples, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, because I don't like you, you religious bigots. He didn't say that. That's what he wanted to say. Like you have a Twitter account, fake Jesus, right? And these are the things he really probably wanted to say. And he said, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call the righteous. Not, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so Matthew's story, again, we begin to see this play out in our story. Because Matthew's story, listen, listen, listen. The first part is we are all sinners who've fallen from grace. We are all sinners who rebelled against God. In fact, sometime this weekend, I guarantee you, most everybody in here in some way or another has rebelled against God. You might see it as a big sin. You might see it as a little sin. You might see it as whatever sin. But here's the reality. We've all done it. We've all thought something we shouldn't have thought, touched something we shouldn't have touched, put something in our bodies we shouldn't have put. There's something that has happened that has caused us to be in that first state with Matthew. But here's the good news, and this is the good news of the gospel, is that Matthew's story is also a story of a God trying to get our attention. And for many people here today, you need to realize that God brought you here to try to get your attention. Maybe you've never had a relationship with God through Jesus, and today God's just kind of going right on your cheeks. Not hard, because he's not a mean guy. But just trying to say, wake up and look. See what I'm trying to do for you. For some of us, we, we've had a relationship with God, but we just kind of have walked away from it. It's grown cold. And, and we need to realize that today God is trying to get our attention. That Matthew's story is our story because we have a God who, even though we've fallen short of what he created us to be, is trying to get our attention today. It's our story because it's a God. It tells us of a God who's looking for us when we weren't even looking for God. See, Matthew wasn't out searching for Jesus. Jesus came looking for Matthew. Isn't that awesome? That when you were at your lowest point, when you thought you could, could probably never come to God, when you thought that you'd done so many bad things that God can never look upon you with favor or with love, that Jesus came looking for you. And you cannot say Jesus never came. You can't be like, Jesus never came looking for me. Because he's, you're here today. And I'm telling you about a God who's looking for you, who's coming after you, who's knocking on the door of your heart and saying, let me in today. Today is a day of salvation if you'll simply let down the pride, let down the false facade, let down the arrogance and the ego, and let me have your life. It's a story of God doing for Matthew, a story of God doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. It's a story of a God who sees our mess and still desires us. So when my kids were little and, and they would eat, one thing that happened is it, Susan could do it and stay clean. Whenever I fed the kids, we both ended up in a mess, right? 
And our kids, they, they would just have it all over their face. They'd have it all over their shirt. And the funny thing about it is, though, when my kids, like, if they fell, if they were in a mess, if something was about to happen to them, I didn't go, gosh, they're kind of messy. I don't think I'm going to help them. I ran to them, and I picked them up, and I held them, even in their mess, right? Even in their mess. And we have a God who sees our mess and still desires us. I want you to see very clearly in this text, and uh, specifically verses 10 through 13, uh, four things that I really want you to see in this. You've got to get this. We've got to understand this. This never grows old. Um, the gospel will never, will never exhaust the riches of the gospel. We'll never understand it all. And today I just want you to see in this text four things about God and about us. In the very first verse, it says that Jesus was having dinner there in verse 10. And many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with his disciples. And see, this is what happened. The Pharisees began to complain. The Pharisees saw Jesus eating with these people. And he said, that's, they said, that's not right. The first thing I want to tell you about this is this is how the religious institution has always responded to outsiders. This is, this is why people today hate church, right? It's because this is how we've acted. Well, I don't know. They got a tattoo. I don't think they ought to come in here. You drank 12 beers last night and passed out on your sidewalk. Why are you talking about their tattoo, right? And we we come up with stupid things and we put these stupid rules on people that instead of bringing in the people that God wants to bring in, we keep them out. And so these, these Pharisees, they saw this as scandalous. They saw this as wrong. They saw this as completely, um, just, just, um, golly, just, uh, just bad, right? That's a terrible word. I, I, all that time and I came up with a three-letter word. That's pathetic. <laughs> but they just saw it as, as, as this, almost Jesus, Jesus being blasphemous. How could he call himself a rabbi? How could he call himself son of God and eat with these people? And for the Pharisees, this was scandalous. It was terrible. It was wrong. And this is the cool thing about it. As they're complaining about this, it's almost like Jesus punched them right in the mouth. Because the Pharisees wanted to keep out the very people that God wanted to bring in. And as you look at this, here's the awesome thing about it. In verses 12 and 13, Jesus tells them, he says, listen, it's not the health that you need a doctor, it's the sick. It's not, the, the, it's not even about your sacrifice, it's about the mercy of God. And he tells them, listen, you, you, you basically, you can get all of this sacrifice stuff right, but you still don't even realize what the point of all this is. The point of this is sitting before you. The point of this is here to welcome you into the kingdom and you don't even realize it. You know all the scripture. You know all the the Bible stories. You know all the, the hymns. You know all the stuff and yet you don't recognize the son of God when he stands before you. How much is that like the church today? Because we just don't recognize him. See these Pharisees, they had all the don'ts down. They had all the don'ts. They had them down. They, they, they washed their hands a certain way. They wore the right thing. They looked the right part. When they would fast, they'd put white stuff on their face so that everybody knew they were fasting. I mean, they did all the right things. They had all the don'ts right, but they had none of the do's. And as Christians, we are so much more known for the don'ts, don't do this, don't do that, than we are the do's. Go and love your neighbor. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, soul, and strength, Right? Love, go out into the community and share the gospel. Let people know who you are by the things you do and the things that you say. And yet we miss the do so many times. And see, here's the reality about the religious institution and how it's always functioned. Is that 
He's always despised people like Matthew. But here's the thing, and here's the truth. God will not tolerate it. That's why Jesus hit him square in the mouth with his words. And so because of that, we also see in this text, we see God's heart for sinners. And, and maybe one of the reasons that outsiders don't like to come into the church is we call, because we call them things like sinners, right? Not realize that apart from Jesus, we're all sinners. And, and, and maybe one of the reasons outsiders don't want to come into the church is because we call them outsiders instead of people, right? But this is the way it's always worked. But we see God's heart for sinners and every one of us in our own heart should rejoice because that means us. None of us had, had cleaned ourselves up so much that Jesus was walking by one day and was like, I got to have that guy. Look at how good he looks. He's got it all together. He would represent me so well. No, Jesus came to us and listen, he came to us in our sin. But none of us cleaned ourselves up and made ourselves good enough to come to him. And so we see God's heart for sinners. See, as a tax collector, here's the crazy thing. Matthew couldn't go into the temple, nor could he go into the synagogue. That would basically mean like today, they could, you couldn't come into the church because you had a tax collecting job. You worked for the IRS, right? So you couldn't come into the church. And so Matthew couldn't go to a place of worship. And this is crazy. This is so awesome to me. Matthew couldn't go to God, so God came to him. How awesome is that? Jesus is like, listen, I'm bigger than a temple. I'm bigger than that, that synagogue. I'm bi- bigger than a building. I'll just go out here and do my work. And when he couldn't come to God, God came to him. And for many of us in here today, that is our testimony. And we weren't even looking for him. When we weren't even thinking about him, he was thinking about us. And he came for us. It's powerful to see that even in the state that we were in, the state that we are in, that God still wants us. And we need to see how intentional God is coming to Matthew. We need to see how intentional he is when he comes and he he begins to call Matthew. And we need to understand that it's God who established the relationship, not you and I. All we did was say yes to an invitation that he came and gave us. And we begin to see that very, very clearly as we realize that God has a heart for sinners. The third thing we see in this section of text is we see the purpose of Jesus. We see his purpose. It's so clear, right? That that, that he comes and and the calling of Matthew and the eating with sinners both show the willingness of Jesus to go to the people and to call the people that no one else would ever call. Jesus wanted the man. Listen, this is awesome. Jesus wanted the man no one else wanted. He wanted the person that everyone else hated. Jesus was attractive to Matthew. He was attractive to these other, quote, sinners. But I wonder how attractive we are to people who aren't in the church. Do people see us and say, gosh, man, I'd really like to go find out where they worship. Who do they worship? Who is Jesus? They see us and go, man, I can do that without the church. Because it's up to us to, to be in this relationship with Jesus that overflows into our lives. And what we see with Jesus is that he was at home with a bunch of crooks, that were Matthew's friends. Why did Jesus eat with sinners? Because you have to be around the people you want to impact. But most of our Christian life, we've been told and what we've seen is let's put up walls to keep them out. And Jesus went to them 
And he gave them hope and he gave them a purpose. And you and I are called to do the same thing. The fourth thing we see in this text is we see the heart and purpose of this church and what should be the heart and the purpose of every church. Because see, here's our belief that there's no such thing as a healthy person spiritually apart from Christ. No such thing. I don't care if you feel like you've got little bitty sin or you've got really big sin. We've all got the same disease, right? Sin. It's why Jesus compares himself to a doctor is because we're all dying from the same thing. Sin that separated us from God. And so Jesus comes as the great physician, as the doctor to those who are sick. And what he says is I've come to not call the righteous, but sinners. But see, here's the thing. And here's what the Pharisees didn't understand. There were no righteous. They thought that by what they did, they made themselves good enough for God. And that's not even reality. It wasn't what they did that made them good enough for God. In fact, their pride was so much in their religion that it's what was keeping them from God. Keeping them from recognizing God. And so many times we come into this danger of thinking that we've gotten so good at doing church and so good at being Christian that we think that somehow we get away from a need for the gospel. But the reality of it is for you and I, every day of our lives, we need this. We need to be reminded of this. We need to understand that this is us apart from Jesus. Listen, I know who I am today if I don't cling to Jesus. I know the things that I'm capable of. And so we need to see that this church, the church exists for people who for so long have been labeled sinners. For so long have been looked down upon. We need to realize that we're all dying from the same disease and there is only one cure. His name is Jesus. But so many, so many, so many are rejecting the cure. Listen, it's almost as if, it's almost as if you went to the doctor, he diagnosed your problem, gave you medicine, gave you um, a a way of of beating the disease and then you walk out and go, I don't think I'm going to do any of that. And I tell you, as a pastor, many times it gets frustrating because we stand up here Sunday after Sunday and we talk about the physician and we point you to the physician and we tell you the words of the physician and the things that God's called us to do and to be. But when we walk out of here, very, very, very few people do what the physician says, but we still keep having the same conversations, right? All we do is listen to God and do what he says. There, there's a lady in our church who her testimony was, you know what, what changed my life? I came in, met Jesus. I started doing whatever they said on Sunday morning. I just started doing that and my life turned around. Hello, right? Come to the physician. Walk the way he instructs us to walk. Draw on the strength of the Holy Spirit that produces his character in our life. Be connected to him. Abide in him. That's what John 15 says. Abide in him and he'll produce his fruit in us. We can't walk out of here having read the word, having heard the word, and never do the word. So we need to realize that this is what God's called us to. He's called us to this place of being open to those who are far from God. Bringing them in, letting them, not being a barrier to the kingdom, but letting them enter into the kingdom. And then all of us growing up together. There's not one person in here who we've got it down so much that we don't need to grow anymore. My gosh, I recognize that every time I go to a go-kart track or a little league baseball game. I'm like, oh my gosh, 
Am I really this immature? God's calling us to grow. He's calling us to go. And this is what our belief is in this church. This is what we believe this church was started for, is to see people who are far from God connected to God and to see them grow up in Christ. So we are, I mean, listen, I pray God will send us the people nobody else wants. I pray that he will. And it is frustrating and it takes time and it is messy, but that is the call. If ministry isn't messy, then we're not doing it right. We've got to get in the trenches. We've got to be willing to do whatever it takes because the kingdom of God, there's one class and it is sinner. Sinners who've been made saints, not by what we've done, but by the grace of God, the free gift of Jesus. And so this is the truth about our story and Matthew's story is our story is very similar to Matthew's story. Matthew's story can be our story. For some of us, this is the story of being redeemed by God who came after us when we weren't even looking for him. And and, and for for others, though, listen, it can be your story. It can be a story of reconciliation with God and with others. It can be a story of forgiveness. It can be a story of new life and a fresh start. See, Jesus' command was so simple to Matthew. He simply spoke and said, follow me, and Matthew followed. Isn't that pretty amazing that that would happen? But that's really what it is. That is how God calls us. And that is the only response that actually is appropriate to what Jesus wants to do in our lives. Is that when he speaks, we follow. Is it not amazing that Jesus, one, he bothered with Matthew. It's not amazing that Jesus, two, uh, Matthew would leave everything to follow a carpenter. Right? How many of you, if like a carpenter is walking down the road with his tool belt on, he's like, hey, come follow me. You're not quitting your job to do that, right? Matthew follows, he follows a carpenter. Isn't it amazing that Jesus' authority and the authority that Jesus had when he spoke and the authority of Jesus' word, which we have today, that when he spoke and said, follow me, this businessman left his business and followed. Isn't it amazing the transformation in Matthew's heart and in his life that resulted from him following Christ? See, Jesus still saves. Jesus still does a great work. Jesus still changes hearts. Jesus still does all of these things when we say, yes, God, I will follow you. And when he followed the power of Jesus's word and the power of the Holy Spirit that, that held on to Matthew, that it had, had, had clenched its, 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 its hands, its, its claws into Matthew. Listen, they had to let go. They were, that chain that held him down, it was broken. And that old dead way of life It went one direction and Matthew went another into a new life. And you see the power of this in Matthew because Jesus not only um, saved Matthew, not only brought him into the fold, so to speak, but, but he also gave Matthew this new identity. It's basically what Jesus tells us when he says in second Corinthians that, that he who is uh, in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And we begin to see this in Matthew's life. See, Matthew, before he was named Matthew, his name was Levi. And when Jesus called him, he gave him a new name. See, names in the Bible, especially when there was a name change, God was giving them not just a new name, but a new identity. It's kind of like when I was born, and as long as I can remember, my mom told me that Brandon meant beacon of light. And we went to the beach, and I took my shirt off. I understood why. I was like, ooh, you know what I mean? It's like complete whiteness. It's like, no wonder she told me it meant beacon of light. She saw me with my shirt off in the sun. Oh, okay, that makes sense, right? And the reality of it is, though, that Matthew was given a new name. And Matthew's name that was given to Jesus meant that he had a new identity. We, we see it also with Simon Peter. 
Hello, if you ever want to feel better about yourself, read about Peter. Right? He made so many mistakes and did so many things wrong. But when Jesus called him, he changed his name from Simon to Peter. Peter meant rock. And, and was not Peter, was he not the most shifty, shady kind of guy you could ever see? One minute he's doing the right thing, the next minute he's, you know, one minute he's the foundation that Jesus is going to build the church on. The next minute Jesus call him Satan. And yet Jesus says, you're the rock. With Matthew, he gives him this new name. He calls him Matthew, which meant a gift from God. How many other people in that day could possibly look at Matthew and go, there's a gift from God. Think about that. They hated him. Nobody would have walked up and gone, how you doing, gift of God? But Jesus walks by and sees him and he calls him. He says, you're a gift from God. And here's why, because Jesus always sees more potential in us than we see in ourselves. Thank God for that. Thank God that when we're we're running from him, he says, I can use that person. In my hands, I can use that person. Just like Matthew, Jesus gives us a new identity. That we're no longer the sinner. We become a saint, man. That's all, all the letters are addressed to saints in the Bible. They're, they're addressed to people who've been taken from sinner to saint, not because they're so good, but because of the grace of Jesus that's given them righteousness. We see that we become a son and a daughter. We're no longer an enemy of God. We become a friend. We've been forgiven. We've been restored to relationship with Jesus. And see, he didn't just give Matthew a new identity. He gave him this new purpose. And the crazy thing, this is, man, this just... When I saw this this week, it just really set my heart on fire. Because Jesus comes, he sees potential in Matthew. He calls a man who's been hated for his, most of his adult life a gift from God. And then he calls him into um, his ministry to, to advance the kingdom. And he takes the same tools that made Matthew a good tax collector... Drotting down information, keeping up with information, keeping up with all the, 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 the amounts he collected, being able to show his records. And he takes this, these gifts that Matthew had, that Matthew had been using for evil, and he takes them and redeems them. And he has Matthew write the first gospel that's in the New Testament. Is that not awesome? God does a 180 with Matthew's life. And he takes the very things that, that, that Satan had used and that Matthew had used for evil and he redeems them and he begins to use them for good. How many of us have seen that in our own life? That the things that probably nearly killed us, that probably ruined our life at some point in time, if we just keep pursuing and we just keep walking and we just keep submitting it to the physician, at some point in time, what begins to happen is God begins to redeem that thing and begins to use it for his glory. That's so awesome. I know this specifically in my own life. See, God can use your alcoholism. He can use your addiction. He can use your promiscuity. He can use that addiction to pornography. He can take all of that stuff and he can redeem it. And one day, what almost killed you becomes a testimony to the power of God. And you find out that God sent you like Jesus was sent to go to that person who was sick so that you can share the story about what Jesus did in your life. And it begins to change someone else's life. So God can even take the worst parts of our lives and he can put them in the hand of the Redeemer, in the hands of Jesus. And they're able to be redeemed and used for our good and for God's glory. So I noticed in my own life, when we were on vacation uh, a few weeks ago and we were down in St. Augustine, Dake and I had gone over to Gander Mountain. Um, I think that would probably be what God would have to redeem for me is an addiction to Gander Mountain, Bass Pro Shop, and Cabela's. So we, we go over to Gander Mountain and we're on the way back and we ride by this place called the Oasis. And, and, and as we're riding by, I look over and I'm like, wow, <laughs> remember that place. And I told Dake, I said, Dake, 
That right there is Holmes and one of the most embarrassing nights of my life. And he goes, why daddy? And I said, because let's just say your daddy had a little liquid courage and he sang karaoke all night long at the Oasis. And Dave was like, why would you do that? I was like, son, I did some stupid stuff and I embarrassed myself. And see, at the time I thought it was brilliant. I was like, Susan is going to love me so much for this. Now these are BC days. It wasn't last week. It's like, Susan's going to love me. I'm singing songs to her. I'm serenading her. And I'm like, I'm going to love you. You know, I'm singing all these songs. Because I thought I sounded like Randy Travis that night. And so I'm singing all these songs. I'm, I'm thinking, this is great. You know, when I woke up the next morning, nobody was congratulating me on my performance. You know, I walk off. I'm like, I'll be here all week. You know, and then nobody cared. It was one of the most embarrassing nights of my life. And yet, you know what? I look at my past and it wasn't always perfect. It was, it was a lot of things I wish I could go back and, and, and for the first 24 years of my life, I wish I could change. I wish I could make different decisions. But when I look back at it in a way, I look at it and I go, I'm glad it all happened. I don't want to do it again, but I'm glad it all happened because you know what? Now God uses that stuff. Now God uses that stuff. Now God says, listen, if I can redeem your life, I can redeem anybody's life. If I can save you, I can save anybody. And so God takes even the worst parts of us and He redeems them to be used for his glory. And I know for some people you're sitting here going, you don't know my story. Yeah, but God does. And this is what I can tell you. Your sin is not greater than God's grace. Your sin is not greater than God's power to redeem. Your sin is not greater than God's power to take what you use and what was evil to redeem it, to be used for good. But you have to surrender it to him. And it's it's not a one-time decision. It is a daily act of surrendering. It is why Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me daily. It's not a one-time prayer. It's not I raised my hand, I stood up, I walked out, I prayed. It is a daily decision. Are we saved in a moment? Yes. But then we make a decision to follow Christ every day for the rest of our lives. We make a decision to submit our lives to him every day, moment by moment. For some of us, it may be a hundred times a day that we have to say, Lord, I submit my life to you again. That's okay. It doesn't matter. All God wants is us pursuing, us following, us walking. And God can use us to advance his kingdom the same way he used a a hated tax collector. One of the things that hit me as I read this, and, and this is not exactly in the middle of the book of Matthew, but it's pretty close. And I think it's very interesting that Matthew writes about his own call sort of towards the middle of the book because it almost seems like a very climactic moment for Matthew that all of the things he wrote about before, the things that he had heard, he had heard the teachings that went on in Capernaum, he had heard about the miracles that went on, he had heard all of this stuff and he recorded a lot of those before he records his own calling. And, and the thing that's cool about that to me is all of that stuff's what led up to Matthew's salvation. All of that stuff is what led up to Matthew saying yes to Jesus. And I love this because when we look at this and we begin to see this text and we begin to see what Matthew um, had written before, we understand that Matthew had heard about this guy named Jesus. Matthew had even probably talked, he may have even talked with him. He, he had heard his teachings. He had seen the miracle. And you know, there was an ache in Matthew's heart. There was something in his heart that said, you know, I'd really like to, to have a different future. I'd like to have a different um way of living. I'd like to do something. I'd love to be reconciled with God. And the way I know that is because that's all of our stories. There was something in Matthew that longed for this. And can you imagine his surprise when one day he's ripping somebody off, right? And he looks up and Jesus is standing in front of him. Now you put yourself in, in Matthew's shoes. 
What do you think Jesus would say? I mean, you picture it in your head. For so much of my life, I thought it would be like, you, sir, are going to hell. Right? You're not worth the powder it would take to blow you up. Right? Those are the things I thought about God. And Jesus looks at him in this moment. He's standing before him. This powerful moment. And he says, follow me. It's almost like as you read this, you can kind of feel it. It's almost like Matthew probably couldn't, couldn't drop the pencil, the pen, whatever he wrote with. Probably wasn't a number two pencil. But he couldn't drop it fast enough. Because he knew that the one who held the secret to life, the keys to life, was standing before him. And today we had the same opportunity to respond. We had the same opportunity that Jesus has invited us. Jesus has made himself known to us. Jesus has come before us. He's come after the sick. He's come after the sinner. He's come after the outcast. He's come after the outsider and said, follow me. And at this point, it's up to us. Do we say yes or do we reject the offer? Because this is the story of Matthew, but it's also our story. Are you willing to follow? Are you willing to go after? Do you realize that if you would leave this old dead life, that Jesus has a new life for you? And I know I say this every week, and one day, one day, a lot of people are going to start getting it. Some do, but listen, man, listen, listen. It's reality. I can't tell you how it all works. I'm not God. All I can tell you is that when you submit your life to God and He sends the Holy Spirit into your life to guide you and lead you, it's just different. I just know that when you follow Jesus, it's the best way to live. I just know that when you get to the end of your life, if you live for God, you won't regret it. And I'm just inviting you. I'm telling you that Jesus is inviting you to this relationship today. And I wish I could say yes for you because I know what it holds, but I can't do that. In fact, only the Holy Spirit can give you eyes to see the truth that's in this. Today I can tell you that Jesus is inviting you into this relationship with himself. And that it truly does change our hearts. When we repent of our sin and we come to him, it truly does lead us in a different direction. In a life-giving way. It doesn't mean that every day is perfect, but it means that a perfect God is with us. A perfect God is in us. A perfect God gives us strength to face those things that we have to face. And so today, here's the basic bottom line is you have that invitation, you have that opportunity, but it's up to you to say yes. It's up to you to just receive the invitation. I've been praying all week. I've been praying that God would open our eyes to see this. And so today, here's, here's, your, here's the opportunity. Here's the invitation of Jesus. Follow me. It's that easy. Follow me. Have you decided to follow him? Have you committed your life? I'm not talking about saying a prayer. I'm talking about standing up. I'm talking about have you said yes to Jesus' invitation to lay down your life so that you may have the life of Christ. Two completely different things. So here's your opportunity. Today you don't know him. You don't have a relationship. You never said yes to him. You never laid down your life to follow. You never said, I'm, I'm not going this way anymore. I'm pursuing him. But you will. Today, you, you know that God's called you to that point. So I want you to, I want you to just, right where you are, I'm going to ask you right here just to put your hand up and say, yeah, I want to receive him. Today, I want to say yes to his invitation today. Would you do that today? See, Matthew's story is our story. Today, maybe you don't know him, but he's inviting you to know him. Would you say yes to his invitation?
here's where a lot of us are. We're at a place where we know there's areas of our life that God's grace needs to touch. There's areas of our life that we've been keeping somewhere in the dark corners of our hearts. And today, we need to bring that into the light. The first step in doing that is admitting that, God, there's areas of my life you need to touch. There's areas of my life that you need to have. And I want to pray for you today. If that's you, listen, that's what we're here for is to draw strength from one another. And I want to pray for you today. Something's in your life and you know it's, it's hindering me from following Jesus. Maybe for you, it's just you kind of feel like you sat still instead of pursuing. But today, God's put in your heart. Today's the day that I need to begin to walk and pursue and go after Jesus. Maybe your relationship's just grown cold. Whatever it is, listen, I want to pray for you today. I want you to to be able to walk out of here um, and walking a different way. And left whatever it is, that old dead part of your life behind and gone to follow Christ. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask as, as I pray. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Um, if you need to, if you want somebody to pray with you, um, we'd love to do that. Our prayer team is going to be over here to my left, your right. They'll, we'll walk you out in the prayer hall, pray with you. Love to do that. But as I pray, you respond. You, you, you just say, yes, God, I need you to touch my life. I need you to do something in my heart today. So I'm going to pray you respond. God, thank you so much for the opportunity we have today to come to you. Thank you, God, that you pursue us. You came looking for us even when we didn't come looking for you. I pray, God, that people today would open their hearts, that God, my heart would be open to receive what you want to do in us. God, as we stand, as we stand and say, God, we need you. God, we surrender to you. God, I thank you that you come to us. I thank you that you walk among us. I thank you, God, that your spirit will indwell us to give us strength, to give us direction. God, to give us courage. You do make us brave, God. You give us courage to walk and to follow. God, I pray, um, I just pray for people here, God, today who have hurting hearts, something has just hurt them deeply. I pray, God, that they would um, begin to be healed, God. Just the process of healing would begin to take place in their body. I pray, Lord, that you would um, speak to the person today who who still maybe feels like they're too far from you, God, to ever come back. But I I thank you, God, that you are a God who who runs to the prodigal. You, You run to the one who rebelled. You run to the one who walked away. God, I thank you that you call us back. Lord, I pray, God, in this moment, you would just speak to our hearts. I pray you would heal our hearts. God, I thank you that you are a physician who comes to heal us from our disease, from sin, and from death, and you raise us to life, God. We love you, and we thank you and praise you, God, for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus' sacrifice that paid our price, the price for our sin on the cross. We love you and thank you. Lord, you're good to us. You're good to us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, listen, I hope you guys have an awesome week. Listen, let's be like Matthew. Let's be a church that pursues Jesus with everything that we have. Let's take the foot off the brake and let's get after God, right? Let's pursue him as he's called us to. Y'all have a great week.